You're listening to WNYU 89.1 FM New York and online everywhere at WNYU.org. Today is Wednesday, November 18th. I'm your host, Kate Hines. This is The Rundown. You're listening to 89.1 FM WNYU New York. Kelly Drake kicks things off tonight with the rundown's Word of the Week. I'm Kelly Drake, and I'm kind of a word nerd. Every morning, I wake up to the Merriam-Webster Word of the Day in my email inbox. Every week on the rundown, I'll be telling you about my favorite word from the previous week. This week's word? Fulvis. Adjective. Of a dull brownish yellow. Tawny. Fulvis is a rather esoteric word, most commonly being used to describe a particular species of duck. The fulvis tree duck, also known as the fulvis whistling duck, is characterized by both its distinct color and its distinct call. Admittedly, I tried to come up with some jokes and puns to make on the segment today, but none of them quite fit the bill. So I was thinking it might be best to let the ducks do the quacking. That's all for the Word of the Week. Now back to the news. The sky's the limit at New York City's latest attraction, The Edge. You can look 100 stories down and sip refreshments in the sky. Maria Aloqui has the story. The Edge, one of New York City's newest attractions, is taking people to great heights. The outdoor observation deck in the Hudson Yards shut down soon after it debuted in March and reopened in September. It's right next to another popular attraction, The Vessel. The Edge is not for anyone with a fear of heights. Those who want to give it a try enter through the fourth floor of the shops at Hudson Yards. Tickets cost $36 for adults and $31 for children. The experience kicks off virtually in a maze of simulations and 3D screens. Each component tells the story of Hudson Yards, framing it as the neighborhood of the future and a model of urban sustainability. The elevator with touchless features brings socially distanced visitors to the 100th floor in a matter of seconds. While brief, the ride is enjoyable, with graphics of New York City distracting them from inevitable ear popping you might want to bring some gum along for the ride. At 1,131 feet, the guests get a 360-degree view of Manhattan skyline through angled glass walls that give the rider a sensation of flying. Remember that elevator in Willy Wonka? Suspended in midair, the edge is said to be the tallest viewing platform in the Western Hemisphere. Jutting out 80 feet from the side of the building, it looks over the Empire State, the World Trade Center, the Hudson River, Central Park, and surrounding areas. Guests looking for an extra rush can walk over a glass floor displaying a bird's-eye view of Manhattan streets, though somewhat quieter during the pandemic. Floor markings meant to maintain social distancing orders may give thrill-seekers time to warm up before that first step onto the glass. The Edge offers a -a one-of-a-kind view of a concrete jungle that never stops changing. For The Rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, I'm Mario Yoki. Looking for something interesting to do at a safe distance? Marissa Joyce Stamps describes the Nassau County Museum of Art. For many, the Nassau County Museum of Art has made the new normal just a little easier to bear. The vast outdoor sculpture park spread over 145 acres features about 40 pieces of art by 24 artists. 
Visitors can stroll in the open air, easily maintaining social distancing while taking in new works over a century old. The museum's origins date back to 1843, when poet and journalist William Cullen Bryant purchased his home known as Cedar Bear on seven acres of land nearby. But the actual museum itself was purchased by Lloyd Stevens Bryce in 1900 and was purchased by the county in 1969. The main building, known as the Mansion, an arts and education center, an arboretum, hiking trails, and the sculpture park comprise the museum. The sculptures are widely different, yet complement each other and their surroundings. You'll find work by Tom Otterness in the middle of a green field, as opposed to the grimy Union Square subway station that also displays his metal creations. The Arboretum and Sculpture Park have kept the gates open, while the mansion reopened in July, after New York's coronavirus outbreak eased dramatically. If you're looking to delve deeper into the inspirations behind the sculptures, you can buy tickets to the Auto Mindfulness Sculpture Stroll set for October 8th. With museums around the area just beginning to welcome visitors again during the pandemic, the museum grounds have been a welcoming place to get some fresh air and enjoy stimulating works of art. For the rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, I'm Marissa Joy Stamps. As a sanctuary for friendly competition, the ping pong table in Tompkins Square Park is something every East Village local should take advantage of. Kenna Baven describes the Alphabet City's hidden gem. In the very center of Tompkins Square Park, smack in the middle of the East Village, you'll find, of all things, a ping pong table for anyone and everyone to use. It's Harry's ping pong table, flanked by a dog park to the east and a fountain to the west. The table is in the perfect location for the thousands of passersby who walk through the park every day to relax, pick up a game, and enjoy the music. The table was donated by Henge, an outdoor sports equipment maker. They dedicated it to Harry Greenberg, the park's supervisor of more than two decades shortly after he retired. Its sturdy concrete base has stood strong in Tompkins Square Park for over nine years now, becoming a neighborhood staple. Ping pong or table tennis is one of the world's most popular sports. And while East Village residents have to bring their own paddles and balls, they'll never have to worry about finding a place to play. The Rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, I'm Kenna Beban. This month, NYU gyms reopened with COVID restrictions that are different than New York City. Grace Wanabo tells us what her socially distanced workout looks like. Some good news for people who like staying in shape and are tired of working out in the confines of their dorm, NYU has recently reopened the Brooklyn and Palladium athletic facilities. First off, I wanted to know the question I think a lot of students eager to get back to the gym have been wondering, which is, why did NYU wait until now to open their gyms up when facilities across the city started reopening in early September? I spoke to Jeffrey Bernstein, the sports information director here at NYU, to find out why. I guess the fact is that we have a lot of people that we answer to. We have to answer to New York City, we have to answer to New York State, and we have to answer to the administration of New York University. And I just think that because we're dealing with students mostly, I just think we're probably overcautious to start. You know, gyms open around the city, so 
It was like, well, why isn't NYU open? These were their lifelines, right? Like if that gym doesn't open, you know, a fitness gym or a crunch gym, if they stay closed too long, you know, maybe they'll go out of business. You know, that's part of the focus of the university, but we have to worry about classes and making sure it's safe for people to live in the dormitories. You know, Mm -hmm. those other places aren't worrying about things like that. That all being said, the safety precautions and restrictions put forth will inevitably change your workout habits. First off, you have to reserve a time slot. You can only sign up to use one cardio or one strength training machine at a time. Because I am a procrastinator, I made a reservation the night before when the only machine left available was the elliptical, which is not my favorite for an effective workout, but it would suffice. Thank you. Upon entering the cardio room, there was staff at the door to check my temperature, and I noticed that most of the machines were blocked off. One pro I will say is that there are only a small handful of people, so it's a great opportunity for anyone who gets intimidated by gym crowds. With my mask on, my podcast playing, I did my hour on the elliptical, and it wasn't bad. For anyone planning on going to the gym, This is the advice I would give. The first is to book your time slot well in advance. Plan what workout you want to do to optimize your single hour and machine. The snack station and drinking fountains are closed, so make sure you bring your own water bottle. And then pack an extra mask. After working out, you are not going to want a soaking wet piece of cotton stuck to your face. Trust me on that one. And lastly, nourish your body before and after workout. Stay hydrated. And for WNYU, this has been Grace Wanabo. I wanted to know, how has COVID-19 affected groups that rely on in-person events? I spoke to Dan Wisher, founder of a Chicago nonprofit, about how the pandemic has impacted his charity. With the onset of COVID-19 earlier this year, the whole country took an economic hit. Yet as COVID-19 relief donations surge, the Charity Aid Foundation found in a survey of over 400 international nonprofits that over 90% of charities had been negatively affected by the pandemic. For event-based nonprofits, this year has been especially difficult. Everyone's economically hurting because of this. All of our you know, sponsors and our, our local businesses that we go to for support you know, may not be able to provide as much support this year. We're really an event-driven um, fundraiser, right? So, and, you know, right now we're kind of coming up with a plan B of what do we do now that we're not going to be able to bring 3,000 people together. That's Dan Wisher, founder and president of the Andrew Wisher Foundation, a Chicago nonprofit that provides grants to families of young adults battling cancer in financial need. This year was especially trying for the beneficiaries, Dan said. You know, a lot of these patients and their families had to stop working in general because of cancer, right? You know, they're, they're battling cancer and they had, they had to go on leave from work because they can't, they can't work. And then they get, you know, COVID hits and the quarantine hits and all of a sudden their job that they're already taking leave on can no longer pay them. So they're immediately furloughed or they're, or they're let go because they can't work at all. So it's just, they, they face so many challenges and knowing that, you know, we put a lot of importance on ensuring that we're there for as many people as possible through, through, through all this. And, Despite not being able to host their main fundraiser, Dan said they are trying their best to continue to support beneficiaries in new ways. At the end of the day, the mission continues, right? We're continuously sending out these grants. We're continuously via Zoom. um, We're we're meeting with these families and getting to know them as much as we can virtually. In the summer, 
a couple months into quarantine, we sent we sent out kind of this COVID COVID campaign where, you know, we, we said we, we we hope to help 30 families through this. Can you help us get there? And it was a very simple on, online peer to peer type fundraise, and it was really successful. Um, and, and people, you know, bought into the fact that yes, we're, we're all going through something very very terrible, but there's people these these patients especially that are going through this in, in a, a much higher t- degree of difficulty. So. The annual event that could not happen this year is called Wish Fest, a music festival typically held in December. We really, our goal was to help a family or two, right? We, we didn't know how big this could get. Basically, what, what we did is created this music festival that from, from there, and we brought in a couple local acts the first year. A couple local acts turned into a national act. A national act turned into a couple national acts. We're very lucky to have an event that people mark on their calendars every year. Wishfest is meant to carry on the legacy of Dan's older brother, Andrew, who passed away at 21 years old of colorectal cancer back in 2012. You know, that, that journey had its ups and downs with, you know, huge surgeries, invasive treatments. And throughout that battle, Andrew asked really nothing of my family or friends. He just kind of exuded this inspiration and our entire community, you know, thousands of people, I'm not exaggerating when I say that, came came to our doorstep in order to you know, help out as much as possible, show their support. And it was really just credit to who Andrew was. You know, everyone just wanted to be around the guy. And when Andrew was going through his battle, you know, the way that we kind of got through it was with all, all of our family and friends. We just you know, had a party, right? We had celebrated life. And Wishfest was born on the idea of just having fun. The Andrew Wisher Foundation may have been born out of tragedy, but Dan and his organization prove yet again they will overcome. Because the Wisher family and the Andrew Wisher Foundation show unwavering kindness in the face of adversity, their donor community did the same. And, you know, sure, despite, you know, not, not raising as much as we hoped to this year, you know, we, we continued our mission of, of helping people. And we, in 20, 2020 alone, we've granted out over $250,000 to families. For NYU Journalism, I'm Kate Hines. That's all for tonight. You can find more on campus news at nyulocal.com. Next up are brand new WNYU podcasts. Thank you for tuning into The Rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM. I'm your host, Kate Hines. You're listening to 89.1 FM, WNYU, New York.